This is the Unnamed Financial Podcast, a crash course in financial literacy. If you feel left out of the markets, join me, Matt Gregory, and stock market expert Peter Raschuti from Tulane University as we navigate the basics of Wall Street. That when you mentioned the 1980s, that's when they realized that they could, you know, dice and slice these things a million different ways to the point where nobody had any idea what they were really worth. And, um, uh, and that, that made those guys rich. On this week's episode, what are bonds and what's behind the rough week on Wall Street? And let's get into it. Joining us as always, Peter Raschuti down at Tulane University. Peter, a tough week in the markets, but that kind of brings us into what we want to talk about anyway, which are bonds. What are bonds? Ah, bonds. Uh, most people uh, don't quite understand bonds, but the easiest way to think about them is their IOUs. It is you lending money to the federal government. That would be a treasury bill or treasury bond or treasury note, or you're lending it to a corporation. That would be a corporate bond, or you'd be lending money to a uh, school or a state, and that would be a municipal bond. So those are the three big areas, and they really are. You just lending money to um, one of these entities, and they will pay you back. And one of the things about these, these kind of entities is that for the most part, they pay interest every six months. So yeah. every six months you get a check and then at the end of the maturity, you get your money back. You get what's called the principal. So a classic bond would be, you buy it at a thousand dollars. Every six months, you're gonna get a, a payment that's already been established and then get your money back at maturity. And bonds could be anywhere from, oh, just uh, a month into maturity until maturity, or it could be up to 30 years. When did the idea of bonds become sort of a, a... Uh, something that people could do, they could give money to someone uh, to hold for them, essentially uh, an IOU. Like, when did that become even uh, uh, something that could be done in America? Oh, I, you know, over over a hundred years, it was certainly around during the crash and everything like that. It's a form of funding for a. Uh, let's start with the corporation. It's a form of funding for a corporation. Uh, they can either issue stock, or they could um, they could get a line of credit from a bank or something like that, a revolving loan. Um, but it's it's in lieu of that, that they could float a bond in here. And so the bonds um, have some very interesting features. All these bonds we're talking about, if it's a corporate or a municipal bond, they have ratings. There's three organizations, S&P, Fitch's, and Moody's, and they rate the bond looking at it to figure out what are the odds that company, the issuer of that bond is going to be able to pay the interest payments when they're due every six months and pay you the whole principal back at the end. And so they all kind of look a little alike, but it starts off with a triple A bond. That's the one they really feel um, that, you know, you're, you're fine. And then double A a little less so and single A and triple B. One of the things you need, and below that, you get what's called junk bonds. We used to call junk bonds with Michael Milken and all. And that mm-hmm. would be double B, uh, single B, triple C and double C. So you go down. Now you might say to yourself, well, why would anybody buy those lower quality bonds? It's because in life, in general, there's a risk return trade-off to everything. And it's certainly true in the bond market. The lower the bond rating, the higher the interest rate you'll get for taking on that risk. Uh, below investment grade, we talked about AAA, AA, single A, triple B investment grade. When I was in the business, they used to tell you those are bonds you could sell to widows and orphans. <laughs> uh, taking any, any risk. Uh, when you drop below the junk bonds, uh, you get uh, C, which means imminent default. I think you can only be there for a couple of minutes, and D is to default. So, uh, um, and 
you know, the, you know, you might, might want to think about government bonds. That would be the third leg. They don't, they have bond ratings, but they don't amount to much because the federal government has a printing press, which is so handy. And mm -hmm. uh, so they can, <laughs> they'll get you a check. I don't know what it'll be worth, but it'll, uh, you're going to get a check for it. So yeah, there's, and a lot of people misunderstand that uh, bonds are sort of a, Oh, uh, less risky than stocks or risk-free. And that isn't true. I have people all the time that come up to me and they'll say, um, you know, uh, my husband and I, we would never be in the stock market. It's too, uh, too dangerous. Uh, you know, we're in long-term bonds. And I was thinking, oh, in about six months, you're going to be at your broker saying, uh, excuse me, what are these parentheses in my account? You know, so it's, um, there's, <laughs> there's, <laughs> and the reason there's risk in here, you get two kinds of risk in a bond. Um, generally, you basically have default risk, which is the issuer just can't pay you, so things go badly. Uh, and the other is, um, is interest rate risk. When rates go up, when interest rates go up, the value of that bond goes down. So one of the things that you're seeing in today's market, the reason the market, the stock market and the bond market are all over the place is that it looks like we're getting hints of inflation. And if we get hints of inflation, interest rates will go up it'll drop the value of those bonds. Now, if you hold them to maturity and everything goes right, you're gonna get $1,000 back like you started out with. So you bought it at 1,000, you sell it at 1,000. But if you go to sell it in between time, you might get significantly less for it than, uh, than you paid for it. Yeah, so how would someone make money off of a bond? So you're basically, you're giving your money to someone to, to hold so they can spend it, it's an IOU. Um, how, how is there any money to be made other than you just recoup your $1,000 back? Oh. You're going to get uh, an interest payment on that. So let's say you bought a bond and had a 4% rate of interest. Uh, sometimes it's called a 4% coupon. Let's say that uh, you're going to get, and you bought the bond for $1,000. Every six months, you're going to receive a $20 interest payment. Wow. So that's the way that works. And uh, the higher the interest payment, the higher the interest rate, uh, the more money is going to be in there. And that's why we're saying with lower rated bonds, they're going to have a higher interest rate. That payment you're going to get every six months is bigger and bigger as uh, as you go into weaker and weaker bonds. Pretty fascinating. Yeah. So you're talking about those lower rated bonds having a higher interest rate. Um, is that where sort of the junk bond market became popular? I think it was like in the 80s because of that? Yeah. And all of a sudden that went from a mysterious part of the market, kind of a dark hole in the market buying less quality bonds to Michael Milken and um, Donaldson, Lufkin, Jeanrette uh, figured out that could be a great market and it was going to open up a lot of new financing. And uh, they were right. And now that market is totally what we would call liquid, meaning um, you can get in and get out pretty easily. So it's not, you wouldn't have to wait, you know, a week for somebody to want your bonds. And bonds, by the way, sell um, not exactly on an exchange, but basically on a platform. So if you bought a if you bought a bond and you wanted to sell it, you wouldn't have to like go through the grocery store and ask people on aisle three if they wanted the bond. It would be, there's a central <laughs> location, uh, a network where you just sell it through a broker. And by the way, you would buy any of these bonds through a broker. And one of the interesting things uh, is I used to be the assistant state treasurer in Louisiana. So we would be very involved in this because the state of Louisiana would issue bonds to borrow money to build roads and bridges and schools and things like that. And uh, that was all from the uh, Department of Treasury. So we, we, uh, we were very concerned with bond ratings and, and all of that. You know, it's funny when you, in my position, I had $3 billion to invest. And so I had a lot of friends. You can imagine, you should get 3 billion uh, <laughs> now because you really become an incredibly, people love you. And- uh, Very popular, very popular. Very popular, yeah, I'm recommended to everyone. And, uh, and then, but the flip side, 
is uh, so they would always be. I'm not talking about anything illegal, but they'd be very nice to me, you know. And 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 but the other part of my job was dealing with the bond rating agencies that determine what letter grade you're going to get. And then I was the schmoozer, you know. Mm-hmm. I had to, you know, tell them how great things were, and you know, and you know, give them noogies or whatever, you know, whatever. <laughs> I don't think noogies was actually it, but I mean, it's uh, that was the the flip side. And the municipal bond market is a great place for us to start because uh, Matt, it's it. People don't understand it, but let's say the uh, state of Maryland needed to uh, build a series of roads or whatever. Well, they don't have the cash right now. If they build a road, let's say it's a toll road, uh, they're going to they're get paid over time and it's going to work out, but they don't have the money initially to build that bridge or build that road. So they issue a bond and that bond is, um, there are really two kinds of bonds that come out from municipal bond is either a GO, a general obligation bond that's backed by the taxing power of the state, or the other is one I just mentioned where uh, you have, you build a bridge and it's a revenue bond where basically you're paid off if enough people go over the bridge and use the toll. So, uh, but now the thing about municipal bonds that makes them so interesting, all that sort of seems like a bunch of mishmash, but here's the key is the interest on municipal bonds is free of federal tax. Now that's the most interesting thing of the whole the whole shoot and match. And this was established by the federal government, you know, over a hundred years ago. Maybe uh, maybe when Jefferson was out there, right? maybe it was as clear as that. <laughs> is that they wanted to give uh, state municipal uh, issuers a chance to do a little better at the market, give them a hand a little bit. And what they did is they said, all right, the interest you pay uh, to whoever bought that IOU on the other side is going to be tax free from the federal government. So that means. Let's see a good example would be, let's say you're in the 35% tax bracket. Well, you know, if you get a 3% rate of interest, that's really to you uh, what they call the taxable equivalent yield. It's more worth more to you than a 3% bond from a corporation, for instance, because you're going to get to keep it. You're going to get to keep all the interest. And, um, and that's the difference. By the way, in D.C., uh, D.C. has everything differently. And uh, so I'll- as, as we have to here as the, the uh, nation's commonwealth or whatever we want to call ourselves these days says on the license plates i don't know so i (laughs) i looked this up and here's the uh here's the little situation for most people non-washington dc people if you buy a bond uh municipal bond and let's say you're in maryland and you buy um uh, you buy a bond that's issued by the state of louisiana well you're not going to have to pay the federal tax let's say that's about 35 percent but you would have to pay the state tax, which might be a smaller amount, maybe 5%, you'd have to pay there. But if you live in Washington, D.C., um, it's interesting because you can buy any municipal bond and you're not going to pay the state tax or the federal tax. Really? That's another break they gave D.C. It's a very kind of funny thing. So ordinarily, as a Louisiana resident, I would have to buy a municipal bond based somewhere in Louisiana in order to get not only the federal tax, but all free, but also get the state tax free. So I could get to keep all of it, no taxes whatsoever. But you're in, not in that situation because you're not kind of a state. I don't know what, but your state of mind. I really don't know what, <laughs> what you guys do. But you could buy a bond, you know, issued in Utah or Florida or wherever, and you didn't, doesn't matter to you because you're going to get, the interest is going to be free of federal and free of state tax. See, I knew there were perks to living in a place where you I can't know. vote. I know. Matt's always saying, oh, God, the free li- the free museums. No, it's more than that. It's, it's the bonds. So, so when we've had this discussion before about uh, stocks, right? In a stock, um, uh, all the stock has been issued. 
So when we're buying stocks, unless you're on the IPO, uh, you're not really you're buying it through an exchange. You're buying it through someone else. Is it the same with bonds? Uh, is it do are, is it a different class of uh, buyer that purchases the initial bond and then we're just trading bonds from there or could an average person just buy a, an opening municipal bond? Uh, any average person can buy a bond anytime from the time it's issued to the time it matures, just like a stock. Uh, in that the only, and you're right, it was a perfect example because only the people that paid for that bond initially are actually the ones who funded that bridge or road or, um, you know, it's funny when we built, when I was at the state capitol, we uh, built a, a bridge over the Mississippi River, which was very expensive and it needed to be done. It was a toll road. and. And that bond was 30 year maturity. And so recently, uh, I guess I've been out about 31 years and I drove over that bridge and I noticed they took the tolls out. And of course they took the tolls out because the bond had been paid. Mm. That was the money. And, and my sons were incredulous when, I was, when they were little because I'm very unhandy. And, uh, and to the point of just laughing at dad. And whenever we'd go over that bridge, I would always say, you know, daddy built this bridge. And they used to just go <laughs> into hysterics but I was technically right. <laughs> That's very Star Wars in that from a certain point of view, I was right. Um, what's interesting you should mention that is that we have a bridge here um, that, that connects, you know, the eastern shore of Maryland, the Delmarva Peninsula, to the rest of Maryland. And both of my parents uh, for years now have been upset because they were told when the new bridge was being built, they were told that uh, it would only have a toll until it was paid off, which is what you're talking about. However, the bond matured, and there's still a toll. And not only that, now they've raised the toll. And at one point, it went up by like from two dollars and fifty cents to like eight dollars, and they brought it back down now to two fifty for commuters, four dollars for what have you. But it's interesting because they've already apparently paid off the bond, but now they're still collecting money and using it for the state's transportation fund. So I'm very interested to hear that Mississippi paid it off, got rid of the toll lanes and continued on with things. Oh yeah. We, there was a big protest everywhere, you know, and at the, at the state capital in Louisiana, you know, to end the tolls and, uh, so oh, really? was, yeah. And I, I was, I was always interested cause I, I thought to myself, maybe I'll go down the stairs and I'll talk to them about the bond, but they didn't seem like the kind of people that really wanted a lesson on bonds. No, they, uh, no. that was. Uh... <laughs> you have uh, the bonds and we, I, you hear, and it's just like, sometimes we, the sheeple, we just repeat things we hear out loud. And one of the things I always hear is, oh, if the stock market is going down, bonds are doing better. What is that relationship? What is the, the inverseness of it? It's actually not true. Okay, good. Because when you think about it, the thing that sinks both stocks and bonds is on the surface the same thing. It's, it's higher inflation, higher interest rates. Uh, um, inflation is the enemy of financial assets. So um, what, you'll, what you tend to hear is that uh, if the market's going down, I want something a little safer, and bonds certainly are safer. Um, but, but that's really the, the whole thing. Uh, the other thing, you might want to think of this more as like two buckets. When you have bonds that are, let's say, yielding very little like they have been, and then you have stocks, well, when the bond market starts to have higher interest rates, all of a sudden it becomes more attractive and stocks, people sell stocks to go into the bonds. And that's really what's, what's, that, what people mean by that. That's what they're saying. So when we see, um, you know, that the Fed, the Fed chair, Powell, 
is uh, looking at possibly, or he even just floats the idea of um, raising interest rates, even incrementally, which we've you know, been over. Uh, when he talks about that, you see, yeah, people running to the bond market, or at least the that seems to be the signal that people think they want to get ahead of something. Right. And think about what's happening there. If you already own that bond, well, you're going to be losing money because interest rates are now higher than the when you bought that bond. But if we talk about new issues of bonds, they become more attractive than they used to be. And that stock market money is uh, is moving over there. And uh, it's it's uh, it's very interesting. You know, one thing I'd like to point out, though, is uh, not that we want to go into something sad like bankruptcy, but it's a good good thing to know for the bond market is uh, when you got a company and it goes bankrupt, a couple of things happen. One is the first thing that happens is the creditors are paid off. Like, you know, some company sold them a hundred lamps and now they're bankrupt. Well, those guys ought to get paid first. They weren't in this game. They were just selling lamps, you know? And mm -hmm. then next thing that happened is the stockholders are wiped out in a bankruptcy. They, they're completely gone, but they were taking the biggest amount of risk they were looking for the biggest return. They had to go. And then underneath that is the bondholders. And that's where you are in the pecking order is uh, oh. in terms of bankruptcy. So when you get, um, when you get, uh, the company goes bankrupt, it's got some liabilities, it pays off the liabilities, but then whatever money is left goes to the bondholders. So you're in a better position than you are with the stocks, certainly. I, I was reading Liar's Poker by Michael Lewis. It's a fantastic book. It's a book that gets him into the, the, yeah, that gets him into his the, the lexicon of uh, great uh, financial writers. But he talks about how the bond market just completely flipped in the 80s, and we kind of touched on with Milliken. Um, what were they doing that was different with bonds than, say, what we had seen up to 1985? You know, you, that is a great sentence you put together there, because when I was in the business 40 years ago, it used to be that we, we were doing research on stocks, and we basically thought we were superior minds because stocks were more complicated and that the guys that really didn't want to think too much, they were doing bonds because you didn't you really didn't have to deal with anything. And um, But then everything changed in the 80s and all of a sudden the bond market became much more complicated. It's always been big in terms of uh, dollars, but very, very, very complex. Like, uh, um, you know, all these stipulations that are on bonds. Like, I'll give you an example of a... Uh, Kind of a funny sounding bond. It, I know the subject gets a little complicated and, and such, but here's a good example. Up until, let's see, I would say about 1980, if you, uh, if you went to a bank, you could get a mortgage from them or a loan only if they had enough money on hand. Hmm. It would be like, there would really, there would be signs in the window saying, we have mortgage money to lend, you know, like, like, you, know, like you were getting a discount on a saw or something like that, you know, and, uh, yeah, well. and right. So it's like, Oh, that one on Washington, they get money, you know, and then everything changed through once again, the bond market. First, first of all, you need to know that the bond market at this point brought in all the rocket scientists. In fact, one of the people, the bond market loves to st uh, uh, steal is physics professors from universities. That's how complex this stuff is. And um, they weren't, they weren't coming for a, finance professors. This, they were looking for the real math, the math people. And uh, so let's say, so now you've got that situation. Then all of a sudden um, you take it, and this is kind of what the big short was about. You, that same $100,000 you were going to give for a mortgage can be spent, you can be used over and over and over again, because it used to be that you would get a 30-year uh, mortgage from the bank 
and every every month you'd pay a certain amount and and then maybe you'd go into the bank and the banker would tussle your son's hair and say oh looking forward boy harry's getting bigger and <laughs> and then he would you would be a customer for 30 years and now they don't tell you this but you get a mortgage from the bank and they give you, a, you the kid a lollipop and then uh and then by the time you've hit the parking lot they've sold that mortgage and they've yes. sold it to an into big pools of mortgages. So they, that same hundred thousand dollars, they're like next, you know, it's, it's wild. And that's sort of how we got into the crisis in 08, but they're still doing that. They're still able to, to, you know, package your mortgage up with a bunch of other mortgages and sell it off. Oh yeah. And in the concept, it's really not bad at all. I mean, you've been able to have unlimited uh, mortgage lending. I mean, it provided they're good quality mortgages. And the other thing is um, you're buying these mortgages as a, as a fund is the easiest way to think about. So you've got a whole bunch of them, you know, maybe you've got 500 different uh, pieces of, uh, 500 pieces of different mortgages in there and they pay out a, a payment every month as pe people pay their mortgages. And, but the problem was, and of course in the big short was they were trying to juice up the yields by putting some crummy mortgages into all of them. And, um, and we all know the crummy mortgage story that didn't, that didn't really work out. And so, you know, mortgages are essentially a form of a bond, I suppose, right? And very attractive to people because they, uh, first of all, they're backed by the government. Mm -hmm. So they're, you know, that's what mortgages are under uh, um, those rulings. And they pay interest every month instead of every six months. So you get, uh, the, the problem with them, as if you were really thinking this out, is a bond, you buy it and you know when it's going to mature. You're going to get all your money back at that date. But with a mortgage, with mortgage bonds all put together there, you don't know when it's going to end because you give somebody a mortgage and it's a 30 year mortgage. But if they decide to move in two years, they pay basically that mortgage is over. That mortgage yeah. is going to be paid down. So you thought you bought a 30 year bond. Now you end up owning a, 10, a two year bond. Ooh. And that's, that's a special kind of risk. And what happens is, Matt, this is, I, I went through all this in 79, 80. So I still have like PTSD from, from this. And uh, so just, just bringing this up in kind of an occult swing. And it's, uh, what would happen is, let's say you owned a, you own somebody's mortgage, make it easier. Well, let's say it's a 6% a mortgage and it's for 30 years. Well, all of a sudden uh, interest rates go down and you think, oh Lord, I hope those people don't move. Because if they move, I've got this, this high rate of interest and if they move, it's in, my mortgage security investment is over. I want them to stay the whole 30 years because I'm getting a very high return, higher than the market is offering. So you mm -hmm. want it to be as long an investment as possible. And, uh, and then if, if interest rates uh, go up, you, know, you think, oh boy, that was a mistake. I hope, the, I hope after six months, uh, all these people move or their house burns down or something. It's a bad thing to hope for, but yes. so that you get your money back. And of course, what happens is it never works that way. It, what happened, uh, you could actually talk to your parents about what would happen on this situation, is that somebody's got a 4% mortgage for 30 years. Well, now rates, rates went up to 18% back then. And so if you, sell, if, you, if you move, you can't take the mortgage with you. So you'd have to go get a new mortgage for 18%. And that you're not gonna do that. So you're gonna stay in that house, even if you hate your family, and it's the house, the house is falling down because the most valuable thing to you is that mortgage. And I'll tell you that one of the stories 
that I remember so much, you know, when you're young, you always remember these stories in any kind of career. And we were, uh, we, we came in very early one morning, about six o'clock in the morning, because an analyst wanted to talk to us from New York. We're in Boston. And the analyst came to tell us why we should buy stock in Sherwin-Williams. And it, there was no Home Depot at that point. This is the paint company. And, uh, and you know, the things are terrible. Nobody's moving. They, mortgages are 18%. And I'm like everybody else thinking, I don't know what this guy's talking about. We're clearly at the end of the world. I don't know why I had to get here at six in the morning. And, um, and he said, no, here's the situation. People, um, I'll never forget the story, because people are in their homes and they, even if they hate the house, they've got to stay in there. So all over America, spouses are saying to each other, you know, um, if you don't paint the den, at least make it look a little bit better. I'm leaving and I'm going to leave the kids with you. So, <laughs> and he was right. The stock went from $40 to $120 in two years. And to me, that's when investing became so fascinating. The sky opened, the clouds parted, and you could, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> it's, it sounds to me like high mortgage rates keep families together. No, that's a good spin. <laughs> it's a good spin. So it sounds like when you're um, looking at a bond, one of the, the perks you get, in addition to getting your money back, is that you're earning money every what, month or every six months. Yeah, it depends. On a traditional bond every six months, uh, mortgage-backed securities every month. Um, yeah, that, and that, that money you get you know, is, is, can be reinvested or it can be used by you. So there's a lot of, uh, lot of variations on the, uh, on the markets in here. So we'll have to, we will have to see. But I uh, wanted to mention uh, one other thing. We talk about all the issuers of bonds. Well, you don't even, if you're a corporation, you don't have to be a publicly traded company to issue a bond. You could be mm -hmm. a private company and go ahead and still issue bonds in the market. And, um, and one of the things is that when you look at those bond ratings, it's very, very important. First of all, when you buy a bond and it's a AAA bond, let's say it's a 20-year bond, um, you say it's AAA, best it could be. It's very, very safe. Well, that bond rating can change over time. It was AAA when you bought it, but if that, corporation or that municipality now has a problem that could be lowered to double a or single a during the course that you uh held it and that's mm -hmm. really important the other thing is if you look at those bond ratings they're looking it's a very important statement they're saying can this entity make its interest and principal payment principal being when you get paid back at the end as an ongoing entity so they're not saying okay i'm warehouser i don't pick on warehouser here but um, they own half the United States, you know, with timber and all that. They're not saying, they're saying, looking at the way this business is, this is the odds of this company being able to pay its, its interest and its principal. They're not saying, well, I don't know if it really hit the fan, they could, you know, mow down most of Utah and sell those, <laughs> you know, those, those logs and pay off the bonds. So um, very, very, very uh, interesting. And then all the things that we won't be talking about, like derivatives and all those, they're just functions of the bond market. They, that when you mentioned the 1980s, that's when they realized that they could, you know, dice and slice these things a million different ways to the point where nobody had any idea what they were really worth. And, um, um, and that, that made those guys rich. Yeah, exactly. Which seems to be, like you said, that's the code of Wall Street is like, as long as it's our, you know, Byzantine enough and we get just a little bit of it, then we're, we're fine. Um, another, another interesting, like, uh, kind of, thought I had about bonds is, um, you know, when you go into your 401k, you can invest in the bond market. What are those on your 401k when you see when it says, in a, you know, in a bond fund, or is it a, called a bond fund or what is it? it? It absolutely is. In fact, all this stuff that we've talked about sounds so complex, but the way most of us 
are going to invest in bonds is through a mutual fund, a bond mutual mm -hmm. fund. And that's a professionally managed fund that has a portfolio of bonds in there. And they, you can buy a fund that's made up of municipal bonds. If you're concerned about getting tax-free income, you can have corporate bonds. They can be all in uh, U.S. Treasury securities. They could be all mixed up. Uh, most bond funds will say that um, they will say, I'm only looking at bonds that are investment grade. I just want the triple A's, the double A's, um, the single A's and the triple B's. That's what they want in there. And they, any other fund is, is classified as a junk bond fund. And the reason you go into them, that junk bond fund is you're gonna get a higher rate of interest. And that trade-off is really true all the way through picking a spouse, really anything. There's a risk <laughs> trade-off. And when you deny that, bad things are going to happen. There's <laughs> we, we talk often about like risk for you as uh, an investor when you're younger in your 30s versus 60s. When should people get more involved in the bond market? When should they say, you know, I'm going to move out of index funds uh, for the S&P or mid cap to bond you know, funds? When should they do that? For most people uh, that don't have a lot of different asset classes, it is just stocks and bonds is what you think of in your retirement plan. And it, that really, it's that old rule, like 100 minus your age is what you ought to have in stocks. And so you can just see that as you age, you're going to have less and less of that pie graph is going to be in stock and more and more of it's going to be in bonds. And uh, the other thing, of course, is that bonds generally pay a higher rate of interest than stocks do in their dividends. And you get older, you really need the payout. You really need mm. to be able to, to spend that money. So it, it, works, it works very well. And I think, you know, just like most people shouldn't really unless you've got the time to do it, probably shouldn't be investing in individual stocks unless you uh, just sort of enjoy it or really have the time. The same thing in the bond market. Uh, in fact, maybe even more so. The bond market is just a lot more complicated. It's tougher to buy and sell bonds. That should be done in a bond fund. Anything else you think that's kind of unique or important about bonds? Well, you know, I think it is funny that the, uh, you know, the Federal Reserve's determining interest rates. And, uh, and it's, it, what I think is so funny is that you're now hearing nobody ever question the independence of the Federal Reserve until Donald Trump. And, you know, he came on every day, tweets about the Federal Reserve and giving them, you know, giving them the evil eye at press conferences or whatever. This is absolutely absurd. Uh, first of all, politicians know nothing about interest rates or anything like that. These are the best trained people. In the world. I have friends that work for the Federal Reserve. I have former students that work for the Fed. They are smarter than me. They are better dressed. They have less body fat. <laughs> These are the best, these are the best people out there. Best minds and bodies in the world. Yes, right, right. They, uh, they uh, and suits, you know, so they're all, they're all there. And, but no, um, and the funny thing is they can't, I saw a survey the other day that 42% of Americans uh, don't think the Federal Reserve is doing a good job. That is absurd. I would say about 3% of America has any idea what the Federal Reserve is. I, I think the 97% think it's a brand of whiskey or an Indian reservation. They just have, it's, it is flat, flat out crazy to be thinking this. And, um, and of course, the, um, you know, you talk about he's got the whole world in his hands. Um, Jerome Powell does. And one of the things you need to know is, I'll just say back in the previous administration, you know, the idea President Trump was saying is lower rates to zero or negative and just get this economy going. This is when the economy was good and uh, juice it up. Why wouldn't we do that? Well, because the Fed has, is trying to, trying to operate on a smooth road. What they're trying to do is keep the economy growing and not let inflation get up to more than 2%. 
So they are very much, if you had a, um, if you remember when you drove a standard car, the way you got it started and kept it going was enough uh, pressure on the accelerator and enough pressure on the clutch. And that's exactly mm -hmm. what they're doing. And so they're trying to get it not too hot. They're the, they're, it's really the Goldilocks of the economy, just to get it to grow at a decent range, um, have people employed, all of that, and not let the economy get so hot that inflation picks up and interest rates go up and blow the whole thing up. So it's a very tenuous kind of a, a kind of job. I don't envy those those folks at all. I mean, despite the the low body fat and everything else, they they. Uh, they <laughs> with the discussion of interest rates, with the discussion of inflation, we saw kind of some unstable things happening in the market. What did you see this week in the market? Was that just my own observation, or what was happening this week? No, even one of the problems you have here is you've got some questions about if interest rates go up, which really is a, a very, very bad for stocks, particularly growth stocks, companies where you're not going to receive any dividends. The, um, basically, these high-tech flyers the, you know, that you're hearing, like a Tesla or something like that, you're not going to get any dividends. All you're hoping for is capital appreciation. You just think the stock's going to go up in value someday. Well, the higher interest rates are, the, more, the less that, that's worth, that big gain down the road, because you, know, you were giving up uh, other opportunities. And mm -hmm. so uh, one of the, I think that's one of the big things. The other is though, the backdrop, Matt, is that stocks are so expensive and you can tell that. I know when I want to be buying stocks, I go to a, I'm at a cocktail party or a crawfish boil and uh, people are, I uh, get up there and I tell people what I do or they know what I do and they have no interest in me at all. It's just the saddest thing. It's a, uh, you know, here's your hot dog. You might want to take that to go, you know? And, uh, and, and now when I go to a function at six feet apart, everybody wants to talk about the market. And that is never a good sign that, and not only that, they, they have no interest in the sane part of the stock market. Everything is, uh, you know, what's going to happen a half an hour from now. And I talk to them about the companies we follow with the students and they're, they're very good companies, well-run management owns a lot of stock, but they're not sexy. And, None of this crowd wants anything that isn't sexy. Um, you know, I remember we did very well on a stock. This is an example of the kind of companies we look for. A company called Ready Ice, and they got bought out. And you probably know this company because mm -hmm. in any convenience store, it's in the front there. And, you know, you start talking to people about, like, where are you putting your money? It's like, me? Ice cubes. And uh, <laughs> I like cold out. cash. Yeah, yeah, literally, yeah. So, you know, and they're like, stranger danger, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> and the bottom line is the stock market gets in the way of being a good investor. I mean, I really think it's true because you should have the patience and stuff. You know why people make money in houses, Matt, is because every day a guy isn't knocking on the door and going, uh, give you 350 for this thing. It's not. That's the way the stock market is. The stock market mm -hmm. is everybody keeps offering you a price every minute. And if you've got a company where you think is really going to work out over several years, you know, you don't care where it is today or, or tomorrow or anything like that. And that's why when you talk to Warren Buffett and he gives these talks, he says that, um, he purposely says that it, you should think of yourself as buying the whole company that mm -hmm. you own up and not, um, and, and not the idea that it's, it's not a lottery ticket. It's nothing, it's nothing like people are treating it. And uh, I'm very concerned. I, I had to give a talk at the university earlier this week and they were saying, isn't it great that GameStop and all of that is, is uh, got people interested in the market and investing. And I'm, 
I'm half in that camp and I'm half in the other camp thinking, this is so diluted what we're, what we're teaching them or what they're seeing, because that's not the way it works. So we will, uh, we will have to see, but, um, but you're right about the bond market. It really was kind of the easy part of the equation. You know, you didn't have to know a whole lot. And then it's, it's become much more complicated than the uh, stock market itself. Yeah, and as we were looking at it this week, um, the stock market has had a couple of rough, rough days. Is this more of like, I guess we can never predict because you know we, a couple of years ago we were saying, well, we're looking at the inverse of such and such, and that's an indicator of a recession. Well, it turns out this recession was brought on by a pandemic, not by some inverted. To figure out if the inverted yield curve worked. Yeah, because of COVID. Yes, <laughs> because of COVID, we didn't know the inverted yield curve worked. So. As I'm looking at it now, as I'm looking at um, this week, is this an indicator of something bigger, you think? Or do we not really know? Can We it's, can't say finally. It's going to all hinge on interest rates, Matt. And I'm going to tell you, we, we started this year where the, the yield on the 10-year Treasury note, that's the, that's the one that everybody looks at, was yielding 1.00%. And today it's yielding 1.55%. Well, if you've been in the business for a thousand years like I have, it's like, oh, that's not a very high rate. But let's face it, interest rates have gone up 55% in two months. Mm -hmm. And that's a big deal. And so this is what's got people, uh, uh, got people scared in here. And, and the other thing is, Matt, if you look at what economists are saying, there's, they're predicting that these companies, their earnings are gonna soar somewhere in the third or fourth quarter and then continue on to 2022. And you do have risks out there. Every time you hear about another variant in, uh, in the pandemic, you know, is that going to put us back in our houses again? If it is, then those estimates by economists are way off and there's going to be a lot of disappointment. So it's, uh, but what most people are saying is the third quarter will be strong and the first quarter of next year will be strong. And then at that point, we'll go back to where we've been, which is basically the economy growing at two, two and a half percent a year. And that's, uh, so this is just pent up demand that we're waiting for in this, uh, this bubble side. And the thing is, Matt, is that nothing's cheap. It is yeah. kind of an odd time. Stocks look expensive, bonds look expensive, homes look expensive. And you get the point where, you know, where else are you gonna go? You know, you, mm -hmm. you're gonna put it back under the mattress. Um, and so I think that's the, the problem here. Even um, if you take a look at where we are right now, Matt, this is a good example. The 10-year the treasury uh, security is now yielding one and a half percent. Well, you think, well, that's pretty good. But that's the nominal rate. Nominal means exactly what you're going to get physically. Then you have to look at the real rate of return. And that's really how well you're doing. So that's 2.5%. So if inflation is, best example is if inflation is 2.5% and the interest rate is 1.5%, your real rate of return is a negative 1%. Oh, gross. <laughs> yes. So, and that's, the, you know, and as soon as people are starting to, understand all this you know it becomes uh, it, it is really interesting but you may not be getting the deal even the the crummy deal you're getting might not even be as good as you're you're hoping and it looks like that's all we've got time for this week peter thanks again for joining us and we'll tackle option buying next week thank you best part of my week is be with you matt hey i appreciate it and thank you all for listening